Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It is the debut episode of Popcorn and Pile Drivers, the name given to us by our good friend from our Discord, Fight Game Media supporter, Brad. He uh, he answered the call when we asked for a possible name there. He had the best one. So we are Popcorn and Pile Drivers, and this is our movie review podcast, but not just any movie review podcast we're talking wrestling movies only wrestling movies that have wrestlers in it wrestling in it <laughs> about six, wrestling yeah six degrees of i don't know yeah uh this um, is this is gonna be fun and uh yeah, the idea came to me because i was reading i believe it was uh, i want to say it was big dave's 2000 observer yearbook and he's writing about the ready to rumble movie the wcw movie and i was like i've never seen that movie before i forgot it even existed and then i asked you and you said you had never seen it either and so i was like wow it'd be really fun to kind of like watch it and make fun of it and then hence this podcast because for the last three years when we used to have the patreon John and I reviewed every episode of Monday Night Raw from 1997 and 1998. And then last year, we did uh, 96 Nitros. Of course, we talked about the pay-per-view and just the year in, in, in those uh, companies. So this is a little bit different. We're going, uh, we're going something not wrestling history, but it's still sort of history. It's still, still like kind of like a history podcast. So... Uh, yeah, we're going to talk wrestling movies. And the first movie is a movie that John and I both saw together. We went to the sneak preview of The Iron Claw at the uh, Century at, at Oak Ridge Mall in San Jose. We had a nice little group with us. Jeremy Finestone was with us. My buddy Ben Cruz. Uh, we're, both Rubios were not there, right? Uh no, just David Rubio. Just was. David Rubio was there. Uh, Mary was there as well. Pampero Furpo's daughter, better known as. Uh, was that it? Who am I missing? Anybody? No, I think that was it. Okay, so so that was a crew, and we all saw it. And you know, we it was kind of like a thing. I don't know how much of a of a thing it was to everyone, but as wrestling fans, we kind of had to be there before it even came out. And and then you know, since then, uh, late December. It debuted, and it has done very well. We'll get to all of that stuff. We'll get to the box office stuff later in the show. But, yeah, so that's the genesis behind what we're doing here. This is the guinea pig. It is our first one. We're going to do 12 of these, one for every month here. Uh, This one will post in early February just because of the way that January fit. But 
Uh, we'll get 12 of these one, once a month. We'll probably fit two in in, in one of the months. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then at the end of the show, we'll talk about the next one that we're going to do um, for the next month. So I kind of used the blueprint of doing and and I did a did a Rocky podcast years and years and years ago. We modeled that after the Ringers uh movie review podcast. And so uh the rewatchables. And so uh, I've also done movie review stuff with Chris DePatrillo around Karate Kid. So it's kind of the same thing. We ha- we'll have some categories. We'll talk about some things. We'll talk about some of the factual information. We'll talk about some of the pet peeves that we have, even questions that that I have for John and and thoughts on that. And uh, we'll go through from soup to nuts here. And, you know, I've been doing my research. I've been listening to some podcasts. I've been doing, looking up some reviews and kind of digging into some of the the characters or the uh, the people who played the characters and their careers. So I think this will be really fun. And I hope you all dig it. So let's kick it off. The Iron Claw. The general story of the Iron Claw is based on a true story. How true that story is, we will talk about it uh, in in this show. But basically, uh, Fritz von Erich is a father, is a pro wrestler, is a pro wrestler who kind of wanted to slow down his uh, pro wrestling and settles in, in Dallas and has a family to raise, and his sons all become... Uh, pro wrestling stars. Well, not not all of them. This movie uh, actually uh, eliminates uh, the youngest son. He's not even in the movie at all. They do show the oldest son who actually died uh, at a very young age in, in an accident. Uh, but th- the idea of this movie, and I'm actually interested in, in your thoughts on this because I think the, the wrestling aspect of this is where people get stuck on what this movie is really about. And I'll have some questions about this later as far as if this even needed to be a movie based on the Von Erichs. But the movie is essentially about brotherhood and the closeness of brothers and how one brother has to deal with being unable to save the other brothers. And he's the the, the survivor out of, out of the entire family. And that is Kevin Von Erich. So it is, is, the movie is really through his eyes. And when I watched this movie a second time, I wanted to strip away the Von Erich stuff, though it's really hard because, you know, just being wrestling fans. But when I watch it the second time, I really got the idea that this movie is about brothers and and really brothers who were so close. And because they were so close, the fact that they do have to separate makes it even more sad and more heartbreaking as you go through the movie. Give me your sense about what you kind of took away as like the main story here. Um, I think ultimately the main story is surviving tragedy and not letting tragedy define you. Um, especially with that ending, I know they didn't elaborate a lot on the ending, but you know, that's what I felt was the ultimate story. Um, you know, because we saw Kevin Von Erich had to go through such loss with his family, his brothers, and he chose to survive, you know? So that's kind of how I, what I took from it. Um, I really enjoyed it overall, you know, mm-hmm. but like you and a lot of the wrestling fans, you know, it's, it was a struggle Yeah, early on when I was watching it sitting there 
and I had to like take my take my just go. You know what, John? This is not. This is based on a true story. It's not that. It's not the true story, right? Of the Von Erich family. So once I stepped away from that, you know, focusing on all the little detail stuff, I enjoyed it as a dramatic movie, and it was it was very good. I mean, um, even my wife Katrina was like, "Hey, I kind of want to see that Iron Claw movie." You know. Mm-hmm. She's, trailers are popping up i guess they must have been popping up on instagram or something you know <laughs> and then she's like yeah i kind of want to see that i'm like well it'll probably be on hbo max and i'm guessing like next month or sooner than that soon so. probably soon yeah i think uh a24 has a deal with max now mm-hmm. they were previous i want to say they were on showtime but yes. their new deal is that they once they're done with film, then they go to Max. So yeah, we you you should be able to see it on Max uh, soon. But you know, as I said, we'll get to this in a little bit. The box office is doing much better than predicted, so it's still in theaters. If anybody does want to see it, all right. Who's behind this movie? Well, the director is Sean Durkin. and going through his Wikipedia and his IMDb, I'm sure. Really hardcore, dedicated movie folks probably have seen something that he's done, but he hasn't done a ton. This is probably his biggest thing to date. Uh, he's a little bit of a wrestling fan. Uh, I, I heard a clip of a podcast that he had done, and he was talking about storytelling and wrestling. And if anybody has, you know, 10 minutes to watch storytelling, his favorite match is Savage and Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. <laughs> now, he's not the type of wrestling fan that knows all the details, and yeah. he's more of like a, you know, big picture kind of like that. This is storytelling and what I got out of it. So, he, he's, his, uh, this is under his direction. And, uh, you know, to, it's probably now not really completely understanding how the process of being a movie director works. There was a lot of story to tell in the two hours and 10 minutes. And I do wonder, you know, what his grandiose idea was at the beginning and what it actually came out to be. Because if you tell the story, uh, even in the way that he told it, you kind of feel that in the, at least in the second half of this movie, it's like really rushed. It's almost like a, uh, you know, a Monday night raw main event where somebody missed their cue on the promos and a 10 minute match got, you know, shortened to like five minutes and everyone's rushing through the, the last bit of the match. That's kind of what the second half of this movie feels like. Yeah. Uh, but the first half, like the first half is excellent. I thought just to setting the table, getting everything sort of ready. Like there's this sense of impending doom, right? As you, as the viewer, as those of us who know the story, we're kind of on pins and needles just going like, okay, something bad's really about to happen really yeah. soon. We got to prepare for it. And you're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And the setup the setup until David dies is uh, is actually an excellent movie. Like the first, if you were to split it into, you know, first and second half, first half is much better than second half. Definitely. Okay. So main actor here, Zac Efron plays Kevin Von Erich. Zac Efron is Jack to the gills in this movie. Zach Efron played Kevin Von Eric, but it looked like Carrie Von Eric. <laughs> looked like Carrie Von Eric. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think he, you know, we'll, we'll get to the, at the end of this show, we'll kind of give our MVPs, uh, you know, who was the MVP of the movie. And, you know, because the cast, there are many strong characters. I think a lot of people really like Fritz, who's played by Holt McCallany. Yeah. And, 
you know, Zach Efron, almost in a sense, he, you know, he, he's the biggest name in the film unless you are a watcher of, of The Bear the uh the the movie or the uh, the television show about the about the the restaurant um Jeremy Allen White is definitely coming on but Zac Efron is probably the most well known out of the actors you know from from his days as like a you know a young pop uh uh Disney kid or wherever, whatever Disney or yeah. Nickelodeon or whatever from we used to see him all the time and uh, I thought he did a, a pretty darn good job, though. Like you said, he looks more like Carrie, so it's a little bit it's a little bit hard to see him as Kevin. But uh, I thought he did a really good job. Uh, Jeremy Allen White, as we said, is uh, Carrie. If Carrie was about the junior heavyweight, <laughs> five inches shorter and about sixty pounds lighter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As Carrie, if he was going for the uh, the. Uh... NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship, <laughs> but right. no, uh, he he did a good job too as Carrie. Like he had the, I thought he captured the essence mm-hmm. of Carrie. I think that was the key. Like with a lot of these, like it's capturing the essence, and I think all the Von Erich boys in this film, the actors who played him, did that. Really captured just the essence of their personalities of at least oh I only seen on television. They yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. So. Harris Dickinson is David, 27-year-old English actor playing a Texan. Yeah, he was thought, fantastic. Yeah, I thought he did a great job. And the thing about all of the 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 actors who played the sons is the the key to the movie is that the sons all needed to have chemistry with one another. They all needed to play the roles in their family. Kevin being the big brother, Carrie kind of being like the young up and comer superstar, uh, David being the one who uh, actually started wrestling before Kevin did. We'll get to that. We'll get to some of this uh, factual information later. And obviously, Mike being like the little brother who can't really live up to his big brothers. And the one son that they don't have is Chris. And it would have been even, even crazier because by the time Chris is like, a a kid or a teenager like Carrie Von Eric is like a rock star. Yeah, yeah. And so to, to Chris, Carrie is bigger than life. Like it's like having a celebrity in your own home in, in a sense. And so I think uh, if Chris was actually, if the Chris character was in the movie, the role of the Chris character would have been to show how famous the Von Erics actually became, mm-hmm. but he, he wasn't in it. And, and we, uh, there are reasons. We'll talk about those reasons in a little bit. Uh, Stanley Simons plays Mike. He's from Sydney, Australia, born. Uh, Not a lot on him. I I don't sense that he's done a lot yet in his young career, so might be someone to just keep your eye on. It felt like, you know, you watch this movie, and you look at these four young men. Obviously, Zac Efron's a a big star, right? Everyone knows he is. Baywatch, baby. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, if I say his name right, Jay Allen White. Right? Jeremy Allen White. Jeremy Allen White. Sorry, excuse me. You know, he's a he's a rising star. Mm-hmm. But then, like, you know, you got the other two who are from this movie, I think, are just going to – it's going to propel them to, you know, a lot of great roles in the future. You know, it's kind of like almost like the Outsiders movies from the 80s. You know, yeah. A lot of great young um, actors. And, you know, I think these kids – I think you're going to see those – especially the, 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 the gentleman who played uh, David and, and Mike, they're going to mm-hmm. be – 
you know, you're going to yeah, see this, them this could be a little bit of a launching pad for these exactly. guys. Uh, like I said, Holt McCallany as Fritz von Erich. Uh, mostly, uh, I mean, he's had a long career, TV mm-hmm. and film. Not not huge roles, but he's been in stuff that people have watched. Mindhunter, right, was probably a, a pretty, I mean, not famous, but a lot of people enjoyed that show on Netflix. Uh, he's a big combat sports fan. And he's a big <laughs> boxing guy. Yeah, yeah. And he learned wrestling from... Tra- I guess training. I don't know if he was actually training or if he just wanted to pick his mind, but Johnny Rods. Okay, because he's, you know, is he from New York or the Bronx or something like that? I assume that's where he's from. So. Good, good question. You, you, you might be right. But he mentioned, uh, I, I listened to a uh, an interview with, uh, with him on the Ringer Wrestling Podcast Network. I forget what show it was, but just like actually understood the wrestling business at a yeah. pretty decent level. I was really surprised. And he was just talking the lingo and you know, you could tell he knew what he was getting into. He knew the character of Fritz von Erich very well. So I was I was impressed. I was like, man, this dude is legit. Well there's that clip of Jeremy Allen White too talking about, you know, the psychology of the match, you know, what's important, what's not, you know, and and everyone's like blown away, like, look at this guy, he gets it. <laughs> wrestlers, and it's true, you know. Well, I like, mean, he's got Chavo right there, man. Chavo's yeah. teaching him. Yeah, it's yeah. So it was, uh, you know, these all these everyone in this movie just came out with the respect for the, the wrestling business and the the hard work it you know takes to be a professional wrestler. So that was good too. Yeah, I, I heard an interview where uh, same same network, but I think it was it might have been my buddy Ben Cruz who asked this question. Or he's like, hey, yeah, you know, if Zach Efron was like, hey, uh, WWE wants me in WrestleMania, <laughs> could you actually get him to the point of where he does like a 10-minute match? Oh, yeah, I think so. And Chavo said, yes, but that would be a different kind of training because I'm just trying to make him look legitimate mm-hmm. on the TV screen. If I have to do that for a whole match, it would be a much different training. But he also said, and I thought this was interesting, he said... You know, Logan Paul is awesome, but the, the the thing about Logan Paul that you have to remember is he's only got to wrestle once a month. Yeah. So he can actually think of all of the things that he wants to do in his match. He could find the person who he's going to work with, and they can kind of go through everything because they have so much time to prepare. Mm-hmm. And then he goes out and has that match. He said the difference between what I would have done, you know, in the 90s and 2000s and Logan Paul is I get on a plane I rush to that city, I get to the arena, and I don't really have time to go over, you know, a lot of my stuff, but I'm also tired. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. also beat up because I just had a match a couple days before, and that is the difference between what I do and what Logan Paul does. I don't think he was trying to dismiss Logan Paul. He was of just course. trying to, you know, to tell people the difference. You know, the, the smoke and mirrors of it all, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, not to take away from this movie review, but Logan Paul, yes, they're canned matches. Most wrestling today are it's pretty canned, but um but what Logan Paul does have is understanding of the you know what to do between the match, like when to get heat, when to look at the crowd, when, you mm-hmm. know, like he's 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 pretty amazing, you yep. know. So but anyways, yeah. But back to the what we're talking about here. Iron Claw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Lily James Yes. Young. Uh, she's now in her mid-30s, but 
people wow. would have probably seen her earlier in her career as a as a young young lady. Uh, and most recently, she was in the Pam Anderson uh, and Tommy uh, Pam and Tommy miniseries. <laughs> so her last kind of two biggish roles were both playing a woman named Pam. Pamela Anderson and Pam Von Erich. And then she's going to be doing uh, Bailey's documentary in the... Pam. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, it, you, there are many cameos uh, or, or short parts for guys like um, uh, who, what, Nick Nemeth's brother. What's his name? Ryan. Ryan, Ryan Nemeth, Ryan Nemeth uh, plays Gino Hernandez. Uh, you have MJF in a a very very short uh, segment of the movie where he's uh, Lance Von Erich just to show how kind of out of it Kevin is, is feeling, t- you know, towards the later ends of his wrestling career. Um, you know, the, there's other people. You know, the person who plays Harley Race is awesome, and the person who mm-hmm. plays Ric Flair sucks. Yeah. So there's like a little bit of an up and down. You have there's a Bruiser Brody character. The Freebirds are in this movie. Chavo himself plays the chic so lots of uh you know lots of wrestling in this movie and um i forget the guy's name but i i didn't have it in my notes but uh, the announcer is played by the guy who was in orange is the new black as uh, like the main security guard mm-hmm. that's where i remember him from because yeah. the way that he was enunciating his words i'm like okay where is he from Yes, he's from Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I remember I couldn't, I couldn't put it together when we watched that movie. I was like, who is... And you said, the, he's from Orange is the New Black. I'm like, oh my God, that guy. He was, yeah. The creepy... Uh, well, you know, being a good guy, I think, right? If I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so w- we're going to go through favorite scenes. And I've asked the Fight Game Media Discord members for some of their thoughts because this was kind of a big deal for... Uh, the Discord. There was, you know, we got a lot of movie heads in that Discord who who really, really wanted to see this movie. Uh, so I, I think my favorite scene is very early in the movie. So prior to this, Pam sees Kevin Von Erich. She went to watch the match, and she's trying to kind of hit on him and kind of give him the opening to hit on her and ask her out. And we are to believe that Kevin is so quiet maybe a little nervous uh a little uh, a little bit of a of a virgin as we learn later which is absolutely the opposite of who Kevin Von Erich was back then but for the film that was the role that he was playing and the part that i like about the uh, the next scene which is them on their first date is it's it's an interesting way to show the audience that a lot of bad shit is really about to happen. So they're out on a date. Kevin is explaining to her, his brothers, he's trying to give her a little bit of insight into wrestling. And then she basically says, you have oldest brother syndrome. And he has to correct her because he says, well, I'm technically the second oldest because my older brother Jackie died when, uh, when, when we were younger. And the only thing I remember is one day my playmate just was gone. And so she is like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." And you're the, you you like that's a natural reaction. But then she gets up out of her seat and she comes over to Kevin's side 
And she just embraces this guy as if they were already like husband and wife. And to me, what that scene did was it foreshadowed what was about to happen because the hugs, the hug that he she gave him, uh, uh, there there's going to be a lot of them. There that she becomes uh, part of what, who she is in this film is somebody who uh, basically has to help him deal with the loss of the people who are closer to him. So that was my favorite scene. Um, do you, if, if you have one right now, we can go to you, or I can start reading some of the other ones to kind of refresh your memory. Um, no, my, my favorite scene was towards the end of the film, like at the very end, actually, when um, Kevin is sitting there watching his kids, uh, Marshall and Ross, play football, you know, in the backyard, and he just starts crying, you know. Yeah. And that, like, I mean, I always kind of, I always, I started getting a little misty-eyed during when they showed Jackie, but yeah. like, yeah. But that kind of just put it over the top for me, you know. And I don't know. That was, I thought, I was like, this guy better win an Oscar or something. At least be nominated <laughs> for that. And he didn't. He, did, he did not. By the way. And, I know he did not, but I just, I just. I just really enjoyed that scene and, you know, made him remember his brothers and also, you know, react himself, like the importance of family, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they're now, that, you know, he's going to do his part to make sure that they, you know, they live happy, you know, healthy lives and stuff. It was just a really yeah. beautiful scene. Yeah. Mar Marshall and Ross are basically playing football. They're playing catch. Kevin is out in the grass sitting crisscross applesauce and watching them mm -hmm. and he's tearing up and crying and and the boys they stop playing because they realize you know something's up with dad and they run over and uh and he goes you know you, you shouldn't be seeing me cry you know guys aren't supposed to cry guys are supposed to be tough and then they both go dad we cry all the time and, and so they basically asked why he was crying and he said well, you know, I was once a brother, yeah. but now I'm not a brother anymore. And that's, I mean, to kind of answer a question later on, that's my favorite quote from the movie. It's a yeah. famous quote from, you know, the Inside Edition documentary and all the, you know, a bunch of times he's, Kevin has said that quote and, um, you know, still his home every time he says it. And then the little boys both said, we'll be your brother's dad. And that yeah. kind of, and that that's pretty much the, I think that's the last line of the entire movie. And also breaks Kevin's cycle of because his father Fritz was very rough as, a, as they portray him on the film, right? Mm -hmm. Very rough, you know, have to be tough, can't show any kind of vulnerability, no emotions, you know, you're you're a man, you don't cry. And another break of that cycle here with his boys, right? He's yeah. showing his being vulnerable in front of them, and they're like, "Hey, Dad, it's okay," you know, and, yeah. and he feels it's okay to be like that with them. So it's good. All right. Other scenes that we got feedback on that people really liked from Brady Childs, who was actually an extra in this movie. His favorite scene was the Kevin Von Erich versus Harley Race match. Now, this match was it was built in the movie for Kevin's opportunity to actually get in the race to become the NWA champion. Harley's the champ. Kevin's got to do a match, and if Kevin looks good. They may take the match around the territories and then possibly they can come back 
and uh, he he may be able to win the title. Now, the timing and the time frame of when this match actually happens is probably not exactly. I think this is the the match. Uh, it was probably closer to a story that they were telling with David in real life. But mm-hmm. the the thing about this match is, uh, it, it is kind of like a. Uh, it, it is the. I would say it's one of the few times where they they go a little bit kayfabe on you to tell the story that they're telling because yeah, Kevin yeah. is having this match with Harley and he gets suplexed to the outside. Now, if he was in AEW, he would have got right up and done his <laughs> move. No, I'm just kidding. Just any wrestling today, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was just picking on AEW to make John cough, but John is absolutely oh, right. Uh, it, it is a transitional move in pro wrestling today, the suplex to the outside. Yeah, yeah not um, the single AEW here, but um, yeah. Uh, so he can't get in uh, quickly, and he barely beats the count of 10. And after the match is over, which ends in a Harley race disqualification, his dad is kind of scolding him for not being strong, not showing strength, and staying out for too long. And he's like, like, yeah, because I've never taken that move before. It really hurt. Uh, but the dad's like, "No, you gotta, you gotta fight through that. That you know, that's what they want to see. They they're trying to th- do the toughness." And he's like, I, "He wasn't even supposed to throw me over the top rope." He's like, "Yeah, that's because they want to test you." And so I, I'm sure, you know, there was some of that, but there was it was also a little bit of a blend of kind of kayfabe and 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 real yeah. wrestling stuff to to tell that story of Fritz being the person that you just said just hard and hard ass and you know tough love and all that stuff so that was brady's uh favorite scene i think the director also like went on youtube and took like watched a lot of those matches and kind of took what fit the Mm -hmm. story obviously that he wanted to tell yeah uh, yeah. absolutely absolutely uh paul fontaine and kevin ely by the way agree with you about um this was your second you you had this the, you mentioned this uh, briefly before your actual scene, but the brothers meeting in heaven. Mm. Uh, so after Carrie passes, he, uh, he he shoots himself in the heart, and there's a scene of where he sees his brothers on the property, and he can his his, his leg is fine again. That's how we know it's kind of like you know heaven, and uh, he sees his brothers, and then they they see each other and he asks you know where jackie is and he gets to see his oldest brother jackie and he hugs him and that that was pretty uh pretty touching and 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 the reason why i think that scene works is because the guy who plays david who is harris dickinson we basically miss him for the second half of the movie Mm -hmm. and his character is so good that you physically miss him you're like man i where did you know i'm missing david here he's so good in this movie and you know Mike is is still uh, he he's in for a lot of the second half of the movie, so it's not the same thing. But you just miss seeing the brothers together, and that's why this scene really works because they have the chemistry down with all of these guys who actually feel like real life brothers, and and it just it just that like that's kind of the end where you get to see them again. You go, God, yeah, you know, I I wish we had more with these guys together because they're so good together. Yeah, I mean that scene is extremely powerful. Um, David, the, yeah, the gentleman who played David was great, and you're right. Like, if you really break this movie down, first half is definitely much better than the, than the second half because, like you said, like almost like, oh, we're running out of time. We just got to get to what we need to get to, right? Yeah. And, uh, and David was his story was really good. I mean, you could, I mean, this honestly, if they wanted to go, if 
they could have gone two ways a movie, which they did, or this could have been a great miniseries. Mm-hmm. You know, like a six, oh. six oh, episode, you, eight you episode. Can, you miniseries. can save this because I have this as a question near near the end. Oh. We are going to break this thing down. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there other other people had mentioned the video music montage of when uh, Doris leaves, and all of a sudden Mike like a little kid is like oh i get to use the stereo the good stereo <laughs> and he plays the the vinyl and uh it like carries training and then it becomes his theme song and then they they're Probably. fighting the free birds and, and everything so jeremy Feinstone really liked that scene uh kevin ely also really liked the uh scene of kevin and david in the bathroom at kevin's wedding which is another foreshadowing scene because David is ill and he's actually puking up blood at, in the toilet, which is uh, he's about to go to Japan to wrestle. And Kevin is saying, you know, I don't think you should go. And they both kind of laugh as if like, yeah, like I have a ch- choice here, buddy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and also at the same time, Kevin tells David, who he has not told anyone else yet, that uh, his wife is pregnant. So David is the only one who knows. And then. The next scene after this is when uh, we just see Kevin and Fritz, and Fritz tells Kevin that David has died. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of others here. Um, the brother. So the so Mike is. I, I don't. This is the part that I was not a hundred percent sure if it was true or not. I'm gonna guess no. But the way that they distinguished Mike from his brothers because his brothers had the athletic background and they were football players and basketball players and Kerry was a, a track athlete. Mike was the artsy one. And mm-hmm. there's a scene with him and his mom. And she basically tells him that she was also artsy, but she kind of hides it from everybody. Like it's a, it's a thing that she doesn't want to show anyone. And so he's the artsy one. Cause he's a musician and he actually books a gig with his band, and their parents don't let him go. So the brothers and uh, Pam have to sneak him out, and they basically go to like a house party afterwards. And, and yeah. it was it's just another one of those scenes where these these guys have so much fun together, and mm-hmm. they could be like real life brothers if you didn't tell anybody this was a movie. That's how good I, they were. I believe Mike did have some musical talent. Um, uh, world class uh, historian Lance Peterson, uh, really good guy. Uh, I, he was on a podcast covering Iron Claw, and he mentioned that that was one of his favorite things. To is that they actually showed that Mike, you know, is more than just a brother. That's a re- another going to be another wrestler. You know, that they showed that he had he was had other interests outside of wrestling that he wanted to pursue. But of course, his father wanted to get in the family business, and that was you know that was his his dad's plan. And, yeah, let's stick by it. I started the rewatch of the uh, the documentary on the Von Erichs for the the uh, the Vice program. The what's the mm-hmm. Vice program called? Dark Side. Dark Side of the Ring. And I forgot how long ago they did that because just the way that it shot and that like just seeing Dave like I was like this is <laughs> this is like a few years back. I didn't remember it being that you know that far back, but. Kevin basically says the reason why we wanted the reason why we got into wrestling because we all wanted to be like our dad like that was the reason and you know if you have a uh, a very strong patriarch 
and he's been obsessing about certain things all your life that's just kind of like oh yeah like this is what we've been training for for our whole life even though we didn't you know we didn't even know it and if you're someone like mike who doesn't have the athletic talent you probably want it even more but just because it's harder right yeah and and so that's a that's a tough thing to think about when it comes to mike because his body was just not built for it and he had the injury uh, the shoulder surgery, and it turns into the toxic shock thing. And so he got really, really messed up. And, you know, it's almost like his getting messed up was a gimmick for the territory. And it, that's the part that's just so unfortunate. Well, the forcing him to come back, you know, because the business needed it, you know, that was, you know, their business needed it because it was on the down, right? Because of the tragedy with David. And yeah. Yeah. That was, that's, you know, a very sad thing. By the way, the, the the brothers sneaking Mike away to his gig was uh, Daza's, uh, one of Daza's favorite scenes. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, so uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to do more of these quotes. I have uh, favorite quotes as a category. There's going to be more quotables in other movies we we get into. Like you can imagine, No Holds Barred. My <laughs> favorite quote is going to be when Hulk Hogan oh, yeah. tells that guy who crapped his pants, what what's that smell? That's going to be my favorite one, but... Uh, but for here, I think there are two big quotes that people remembered. And, you know, again, not, not a super quotable movie, but <laughs> Paul Fontaine specifically said this was his favorite quote. There's a scene at the breakfast table. Uh, Mike is, uh, he, he's gotten up a little later than than everybody else. And Kevin's already been on like a long run. And uh, they're they're eating breakfast and they're kind of stealing each other's food and and Fritz goes, uh, now we all know, Carrie's my favorite. <laughs> then Kev, then David, then Mike. <laughs> but the rankings can always change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> poor And poor Mike is just like getting, he's just getting read the rights. He's like, Mike, you got to start lifting weights, buddy. Mm-hmm. You know, not yeah. only for this wrestling stuff, but also... You know, how are you going to protect yourself? As if like weightlifting was like a self-defense, you know, kind of thing. But that, I mean, I'm sure that's what people thought back in the '80s. At least people aren't going to mess with you if you're kind of big and buff. Yeah, as but, you know, Mike wasn't that small. I mean, yeah, he was if tall. You, if you stand him next to Carrie, who looks like a Greek god at the time, like yes, but like Mike. If you watch those older matches with Mike, he just doesn't look that bad. He just looks he more looks more of a classic wrestler than like he just what has the two, 80s was. He just has two him. left feet is his problem. Yeah, yeah he wasn't hor- maybe he, but he also wasn't horrible. I, I I think one, he had a lot of good people around him too. So Do you hear do you hear Flair tell that story of that long match that they had? With Mike Von Eric? Yeah. Uh oh, we had to carry Mike. I know he's did the one with I for the one with Carrie being on Zonked Out and they had to do an hour. So uh I think there's a, so there's a match where Harley carries like a young David. David's like 19 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, but David is actually a good athlete and he's kind of built for the business. And then Mike does a match with Flair, which uh, I, I reread uh, Big Dave's review of the movie. And he, he had said in that uh, that it was just hard to watch because while Flair was doing a great job carrying him, it just looked like really awkward of a match. Yeah. So Flair, and remember when he used to have the podcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what was that podcast called? Flair for the gold. 
what, whatever, whatever that podcast was. I think he did it with, uh, either did it with Conrad, and he also had done one with uh, Mark Madden. I forget which one this was, but they basically asked him about the match, and he was just like, you know, he was not mean, obviously, mm-hmm. to to Mike, but he, you know, he was just like, yeah, like you know, Mike just wasn't that good, and he was, yeah. pro- he was shouldn't have been in that position, and you know, he he wasn't ready for those moments and such. And, and he just said, yeah, you know, I just basically had to have this very competitive match with somebody who, uh, wasn't very good. And, you know, just talked about that. So I thought that was, you know, he's not going to bury those guys at that moment, you know, but he was, he, you know, he, he kind (laughs) of let people know, yeah, it's kind of hard to do that match. And so I've, I've never seen, I've seen clips of it, but I've never seen the whole thing. So maybe I I got to go back and watch it. I think it's only like a 10 minute TV match too. Mm -hmm. uh, But you know, all the Von Erichs are kind of awkward in their own way. You know, like, you know, Kevin was awkward. Carrie was gangly and like knees and elbows all over the place. I think David was probably the best worker of the bunch, you know, bell to bell, but you know, Carrie, of course, you know, he got all the, the magazine covers and everything. And, and he was good. You know, Carrie's gets a lot of shit, but, he was, he was really good, and he was a huge star, you know. All right, so the uh, last quote is one that we've already talked about, where <clears throat> a young Ross Von Erich says, we'll be your brother's dad. That is <laughs> probably the most memorable quote of the whole film. Yeah. All right, let's dig through, you know, some of the kind of factual information uh, about this movie, about the real story versus the movie. Now, there are a lot of people who watch this movie and they go okay but this is not close to the real story and i and i like i get it like that's kind of how i felt when i was watching it because there's some scenes where you're just like what the f (laughs) but at the same time there's another segment of people who are like yeah like movies based on a true story they're all like this they're all picking and choosing things that work and don't work and I agree with that too, but at the same time, I don't think it is necessarily a bad thing to wonder if some of the real life was actually better than the fiction that they created. So that that's kind of a thing that's been in in the back of my head. But uh, we'll, we'll so we'll go through some factual information, some stuff I learned listening to podcasts and such, and others that are just kind of you know if people kind of want to know what the real story is. So Jeremy Allen White told the Ringer Wrestling crew that when he was pitched to be Kevin uh, Kerry Von Erich, he didn't know if he was the right guy because he knew Kerry was big and jacked. Yeah. And uh, Sean Durkin was like, like, don't worry about it. Like, we, we, you know, we'll make this work. It's really about Kerry the human, not about Kerry the Greek god. And so he said that, you know, Jeremy uh, said he had never actually trained to put on muscle before he'd kind of train more like tone and calisthenics and all that stuff and so uh he'd never trained to get actually get big before i thought that was you know a little bit of a wink wink nudge nudge maybe about some of the stuff he had to take to get that big because <laughs> you know he had big brother zach efron there going like hey man yeah like i yeah. got everything you possibly need i got the warrior <laughs> stash <laughs> <laughs> You heard of Dr. Zahorian? I'm, yeah, I'm Dr. Yeah. Efron. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you want to look like 
freaking this guy? You want to look at the warrior? You got to use this stuff here. Yeah, and you know, just based on how he looks in the bear versus how he looks in the movie, he tried. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He's, he's in shape. He's got muscles. You know, he's running ropes. He's mm-hmm. looking athletic. He's just small. That's the problem. Yes. Um. So in the in in the movie, they don't actually show this, but and I just learned this. I, I don't think I ever knew this. So after David Von Erich dies in real life, World Class Championship Wrestling aired a match of him against the Missing Link the day after he died. Like as a normal match. On the as show? a normal match. I didn't know that either. Wow. So this could be or maybe that maybe the tape was done, you know, and like back then they didn't really. Well, they were also very secretive about about it, right? Because the news yeah. from Japan's got to come to the U.S. Yeah, and, yeah, and all that yeah. stuff. So, um, so this is one of my pet peeves, but I but I actually put it in the factual information here because when I was watching this movie, uh, <clears throat> I was, th- this kind of threw me off originally, which is Kevin is the oldest. But David actually started wrestling before Kevin. Mm. And so I knew that as a fact. And when you watch the movie, it's the other way around. So that that kind of rocked yeah. my brain for a little bit as I was watching it. Uh, he, this is something that I don't I don't think I really knew. Uh, but David, and in the in this movie, <clears throat> excuse me, the only only one of the boys who is married is Kevin. Uh, at that point, I think David and Mike were also married. I'm not sure if, I don't think Carrie was married. No, but um, David was married before Kevin, for sure, because it's in the Larry Madison book, A Wrestling of Chase. He has a, he has a whole chapter on David Von Erich and his relationship and his <laughs> wife and, you know, how he had to portray this young heartthrob, you know, but really he was a, 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 a pretty good family man, you know, according to him that he right. saw. So, David had a daughter who died at 13 months of age Mm. from SIDS. Mm. So, I didn't even, I didn't know that. And then he was, so that, the the, the tragedy, you know, talk about tragedies, that tragedy, uh, from what I, from how how it was written, uh, probably caused the end of his first marriage, and then he had gotten married again before he he died and uh, wikipedia said that uh the woman who he had married trish uh trisha i think what was how she went by was uh just off the radar just not a part of any of these stories hmm. okay maybe the maybe the biggest flaw of the entire movie from a wrestling fan's perspective <laughs> carrie von eric wins the title now, the reason Kerry Von Erich wins this title is because they could not screw the guy who just lost his brother. Yeah. Because that was going to be the story of the Von Erichs. They were just going to keep getting screwed in these matches. Uh, and that was going to be how they kind of kept people coming, right? Is the journey to the championship and then what happens after you win the championship. So Kerry wins the title. He's got to drop it 19 days later. In real life, uh, he he. this is what happened in real life. In the movie, he wins the title. 
it's kind of sort of a big deal in the movie, but still like not as giant as it would have been in, in Texas in, in yeah. that time frame. Like, you know, this is like the biggest thing ever. And in the movie, he immediately trying to come down off of his high while drinking a beer, jumps on his motorcycle and Kevin's like, hey, be careful, man. And he crashes and he the next scene that you see him in, <laughs> he basically has a amputated leg. Yeah. So in real life, uh, Carrie's motorcycle crash uh, was two years later. 86, wasn't it? Yeah. And the yeah. reason why... Part of the reason, I, I'm guessing the reason why his foot got jacked is because he was riding his motorcycle barefoot. <laughs> like, what the and hell? And then he, he collided in a car, right? Or something? Cop car. Cop car, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in real life, his foot was basically amputated in half uh, and not below the knee like they mm-hmm. showed in the movie. But do you remember the wrestling? Like, you're probably a little young, in your fandom, because you're you're a few years younger than me, but I really remember, like when I'm buying Pro Wrestling Illustrated, like 1987, and then you can look back at the at the old issues, yeah, like oh, Carrie Von Eric got in a car accident or a motorcycle accident. Wow, that's crazy. Because at the same time, who else gets in a car accident? And this one is even more brutal. Magnum TA. Yes. Right. So these are like. You, you want to know the stories of all of the stuff that happened in Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the wrestling magazine and all those were covering this stuff. So I always remember that about the, you know, even though it's probably like it happened kind of right when I was becoming a fan, but I'm only watching WWF at that time. So I wouldn't have yeah. known about anything until I kind of dug in a little bit more. And those magazines never mentioned that his foot was amputated, right? That was a, like, no people knew within the wrestling business, but. It never was mentioned in those after magazines or it was until, gosh, I'm trying to remember when I even read that, like late 90s. I think, so I'm it would have been 1998. He has a match yeah. against Colonel De Beers <laughs> and his boot comes off mm-hmm. in the match. And so I don't know exactly when this was, but uh, he has a... Was it 98? I think it was 98. It can't be 98 because it's probably 88. Is it 88? Because he died in 93. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah. You're right. When does he go? Yeah. What year does he go to WWE? 91? He goes in 1990, but 88 was the time when they were working with the AWA and Memphis. Remember, they were trying to collaborate the, the Super Clash. Yes, yes. So, you're right. Yeah. It's got to be It's got to be 88. Yeah. Um, but there's a story that Dave had in The Observer that they had Bill Apter out and, and Carrie was like, okay, you and I will have a chat. I'll show you the foot and we can kind of put this thing to bed. Mm-hmm. And so Bill Apter's just waiting. <laughs> it's like, when are we going to do this? And he's like, okay, you know, we're going to do this. And he just keeps putting them off, putting them off. And then he basically tells Bill, he's like, Hey, just tell him the foot's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like just stringing Bill after around, man. Yeah. So actually, Carrie was married in uh, '83. He did. He was married to Catherine Murray, who he divorced, or who got they they got divorced. And if you remember the story, that right before, so after he gets, uh, he goes to jail. He basically tells her, or he's supposed to go to jail. He tells her, like, "Hey, if when I'm out, we can get back together, you know, I'm not going to kill myself." And she said she could not 
say that that would be true, and then that's when he killed himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, a couple of other factual, well, one more factual information, then we'll get to questions. Uh, in the movie, at the end of the movie, Kevin Von Erich is is given the company, and the company's going down, and he doesn't have any money, so he wants to sell the company, and Jeff Jarrett comes in and puts in an offer, and Fritz is just like, you sell that thing, you're never walking back in this house again. The real story is that Fritz gave the company to Kevin and Carrie. They never sold it. They brought in Jeff to come and run the business side, and Jeff couldn't. Jerry. Yeah, sorry, Jerry. And Jerry couldn't, you know, couldn't figure it out. Uh, you know, they needed to kind of get away from the Von Erich thing, I think at least he thought. But uh, and it just closed. It just, yeah. it just died. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then you try to do, I think, Kevin – try to do something with the Savoldi's out in New York and they, their Savoldi's portion of the international championship wrestling became the international world-class championship wrestling. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin made it a match, a TV taping. Um, and that was about it. And that, and that was, you know, it was just, you know, by 1990, 80, you know, actually 89, I, I, I always have a love for 89 cause that's kind of when I started really watching World class. I saw a couple episodes of Legends of World Class on ESPN, but like when Eric Embry was brought in as the Booker, and you know, even though he was like this short little stumpy little dude, like he made himself like the biggest star of that promotion, yeah, of course. Yeah. But at the same time, like I loved it. I thought it was a really good, and like the crowds did come back, but nothing to really you know set the promotion on fire for the. And once it became USWA, and you could just tell by those tapings that. It's just, you know, there's half full of sportatorians. Kind of like if you watch the movie, you'll see, like, we're, when during the, the scene with Lance Von Eric, MJF is Lance Von Eric, you see, like, half the sportatorium is, is you know, empty. That's kind of what it looked like in 1990. And, um, yeah, you just knew, like, man, this, I hope they turn around. And they just never did, you know. And other people came in there, Global, Joe Pez, you know. Oh, yeah. His group. And um, try to do something. The handsome and... Stranger, man. Handsome Stranger, yeah. Handsome Stranger and <laughs> the Lightning Kid. You know, Cactus I mean, I never been. Manson, the I never been. I never got. I, I was one of those places I always wanted to go. You know, if I could, you know, I wish I could have gone to the Sportatorium. And it just seems like a cool place to watch wrestling. You know, just everything's sunken down, and you're just, you're just a good view everywhere. From yeah, when I was in Dallas. For WrestleMania 32, I think we were in an Uber, and and maybe Ed in San Antonio was like, "Hey, drive to where the Sportatorium used to be, or something." Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Questions that I have for you: uh, Would this movie have been a better artistic project had it have been an eight-episode HBO Max TV series? Yes, if your focus is to truly tell as best as you can with those eight episodes the true story of the Von Erich family and the tragedies. Yes, because there's more time to basically uh, really get in deep with some of these characters. Yeah, you You get more time to do that. In, a, show in an eight-hour series versus a two-hour movie. You can include Chris. You can include 
Lance, you can include more factual stuff. You know, one of my, not my biggest pet peeve. I know like, yeah, yeah. The, the carries motorcycle accident doesn't really happen in 1984 after he was the title like that. I can get, I can just be okay. You know, they're trying to tell a story. They're trying to get to the, try to get there as quick as possible. Is the fact that Fritz von Erich is watching pay-per-view in Star Arcade 83 at his house. <laughs> That's like number one because there's no pay-per-view at that time. And number two is when Fritz is talking to Kevin about wrestling for the NWA championship. He's talking like it's in kayfabe instead of talking like, you know, like the business part of it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. so that drove me nuts. Like, I just can't imagine. I, I wish they would have pulled back the curtain lease on that stuff you know mm-hmm. like what the conversations in their in their house yeah you know? yeah for sure for sure well yeah we'll, we'll get into pet peeves in, in a second oh, we'll get, we'll get into no no, no no it's a it's actually good because i would have forgotten uh that one um okay so the second question i have for you is let's say they keep it as a movie are you happier with what you saw and the branding of the Von Erics, or would you have rather them basically told the same story, but not make it about the Von Erics? Essentially, the question is: Do does because the, it's a movie about the Von Erics, does that limit the movie in any way? It would it be better if it was told with different actors under different names, just similar story. Yeah, if right? it was, yeah. Five five brothers, four brothers named Johnson, but you kind of yeah. have the same thing happen to every one of them. I just wanted, I just wonder if the Von Eric, the expectations of the Von Eric name limits yeah. this movie in any way. Um, I think it opens. I don't, I don't think it limits it though. I, the length maybe limits the actual story, but I think it opens the viewer who's watching it like my wife or my parents or something like that who don't know this, the, the ins and outs, every little detail of the story might want to, maybe they get inspired to check out the documentary, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not the one that, you know, the WWE ones. All right. There's a one that came out like a few years before. Uh, it's actually on the whole world-class territory, not just the Von Eric's. It's really good. It's probably the best one ever done. Um, and you know, like to find out the true story, like I'm sure when I watched this with Katrina and I'm like, you know, explain to her like yeah certain things didn't happen in certain this time but you know they got the gist of it yeah 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 yeah. okay last question i actually don't know the answer to this question because because we're like killing uh durkin and and whoever helped in in the casting of jeremy allen white jeremy white uh just because He's just not big enough to, to be Carrie. And he's probably also like a little bit too smart. Like mm-hmm. Carrie's kind of a meathead. But I couldn't think of anybody else who could have played Carrie who who was big enough. Like, right. Because if, if you think about how big Carrie was, a li- like maybe a little less thick than John Cena, but like that kind of big, right? Like just a yeah, big buff ass dude. Yeah, he was he was pretty big, um, kind of like the perfect athlete. If you you know if you're to sculpt it, you know the perfect athlete at the time. Yeah, uh, who would play him? You trying to say? Yeah, who who is out there who could actually play him? <sighs> That's tough. I'm I'm thinking. How old is Jeremy Allen White? Is he in his thirties? Yeah, he's in his thirties. 
Like Chris Evans is too old, probably, right? Yeah, like yeah he's probably too old. I want to say, and he's not taking a pay cut to do this movie either. No, <laughs> that's the problem. Well, they, no, you know, <laughs> let's be honest. Chris Evans likes to do some artsy stuff too. Sure, so he, sure. After years and years of doing Captain America, you yeah, know, yeah, um, you know, Snowpiercer wasn't a big budget movie, right? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with the kid that played Flash, Grant Gustin, Gustin. On the CW show, because mm-hmm. he's been looking jacked this season. I'm, I'm I'm a little behind, and I know it's ended already, but like, I'm a little behind, and you know I think he could pull it off. Yeah. Oh, Despite interesting. Grant yeah. Gustin. Yeah. Huh. Uh, the so the problem with some of the guys that I am uh, looking up here, uh, the problem is I just don't know how tall these guys are, so I can't tell, sure. uh, you know, really, really how, how they would fit, but. There's a kid named uh, Jacob uh, Elordi. I believe he played Elvis in the Priscilla movie. Mm. Um, the problem is I don't know how big he is. But, you know, we're, we're also thinking, like, oh, maybe these guys will be able to put on some size. Grant Gustin, six foot. Yeah, so this guy's actually six five. That probably right. means he's really thin, though. Yeah, yeah. So another person who I kind of thought about, and... uh you know, th- I don't think this one fits well because of like the the hair color and just the way we've, we've we're we're a little bit. You and I are a little bit more familiar with him just because he was uh, doing Riverdale. So the kid uh, KJ Appa Apa Appa who plays uh, the lead in Riverdale because he's he he seems like he could fill out if he really wanted to fill out. He plays Archie. It sound it seems like if he wanted to put on size, he could put on size. I just don't know if facially he he would resemble Carrie enough. And he's you know he's a redhead. He's also not that tall. He's uh, under six feet tall. But the last one, this is a little bit of a uh, a stretch as well. But I just think that athletically he's actually really good. Is the kid from Cobra Kai who plays uh, Johnny Lawrence's son? His name is uh, Tanner Buchanan. He's only 5'8", which is the problem. So he's a little small. But again, he's he's like uh, really a good athlete. So he could probably get the wrestling stuff really well. I just don't know if he could put on the size necessary that uh, yeah. that that you would need. So, you know, Jer- like you said, Jeremy Allen White is just a good actor. So yeah. he was able to do a much better job with the role than, uh, you know, someone who looked like that and wasn't as good of an actor. I have the guy. Okay, go for it. Chase Stokes from Outer Banks. Chase Stokes. 31 years old. He's 6'1". Has that jaw. Has, you know, yeah. Longer face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every heel in the territory always called him horse face or something. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like, hey, bro, don't talk about my ball yeah, that's spot. A, that's, right? a pretty, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, that is yeah, a pretty a, good one. He was, I, I enjoyed that show, and he was, he was a pretty good actor. All right. All right, let, let's get to the pet peeves. I don't want to stay too long because I don't want to be t- negative. It's just, you know, we're wrestling fans. I don't think most people would even think of these things as negative things or as pet peeves. But I did ask uh, uh, folks in our Discord. So I'll just go through them really quickly. Uh, from Daza, he didn't like the way that uh, Fritz was talking about title shots and rematches as if there were like competitive yes. 
he also said, uh, leaving out the carny ways, Fritz exploited the death of the sons. He thought that would have made Fritz's character even more hated if you told the real story of how he exploited uh, them more than they did. We mentioned the the bringing Mike thing back. They didn't even talk about the heart attack thing that played yeah. off of the death that they did. Uh, he, saw, he, he thought they also glossed over the drug stuff, which was a really, really big part of them and, and their lifestyle. And I'll, another pet peeve of mine, if I'm sorry, I jump in there. No, um, no, go on. You, you, I'm ready for him. Is the fact that I thought they didn't really get over to the viewing audience of the movie how just how huge these guys were in yep. Dallas. Yep, that was uh, Brady's as well. He th- yeah. He's like, yeah, these guys were like a giant deal, and they just seemed like, you know, seemed like they're your local indie show, like you know, uh, baby faces or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they should have showed like just the, you know, the copy of that com- t- pizza commercial or whatever, you know, stuff them, you know, them on the Christian Network doing interviews or, you know, all over the place. Like they didn't really show all that. It was just you, you thought like you're right. They're just local, local, local celebrities of a small town basically, and Dallas is not a small town. Paul thought. Uh... Of all the characters to get wrong, how can you get Ric Flair wrong? Ric Flair was pretty bad. <laughs> like, the worst, I think, of all. But you know who drove me nuts? Is where they find the guy that played the midget version of Bruiser Brody. Yeah, he's just he was just short. He was just short. Like, dude, if he was like... I mean, they couldn't find anyone bigger than that. Where's my buddy Kafu Santos, man? They could have... They could have booked him. Where's yeah. uh? He short hair now though. Brody King in AEW. Ah, he's got tattoos. Though. Tattoos, yeah. Around. They'd had to do some CGI work on those tattoos. Too, <laughs> <laughs> he cost too much to wear that green. Wait, who who is the other dude in AEW that kind of did the Brody character? Yeah, he, he's not even. I haven't seen him in years. What's that dude doing? Not Brody Lee. I mean, no, 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 no. I'm like, <laughs> no. The uh, remember the guy had the match with Moxley one time. Oh, uh, uh, Camarado. Yes, yes. Where's there you he go, been? Nick Camarado. He would have been, been perfect. Guy. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. Oh, Nick Namath. <laughs> <laughs> share a locker room, and then guys don't get rest. You don't even get booked in the same locker room. except for catering. Get, a figure, get, a, get the look out of bone. I know. Uh, Jeremy says Kevin and Carrie were miscast. I get it. But I still think Kevin Von Erich, uh, the Zac Efron uh, portrayal was good. He just looked kind of like not like. Yeah, he Kevin. took it a little too far. He yeah, was just, he was a he was a he was a more of a Kevin was more of a, he had a great body, but he was more of the. I want to say a swimmer's build. What would you say? Like, yeah, uh, I mean, that's not that far off. Yeah, yeah, he's still big dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kevin Ely said, uh, again, sort of similar, underplayed just how big these guys were in real life. They felt like big local fans. We didn't get that shot of the brothers having to fight through the mob of screaming girls to get to the ring. A CGI shot of Texas Stadium during Parade of Champions would have been nice. That's from Kevin Ely. Okay, yeah. I, I have like six quick, quick fire ones. We've already mentioned it. No, Chris. That, that one stands out. Big the time. major. Yeah. You, I mean, you understand it. it it's fine. Uh, but I thought you could have still had him and, and showed something because he was so, he was like Carrie Von Erich's biggest fan. Uh, Kevin Von Erich being a virgin, considering this <laughs> dude was... Uh, um, so he would have been like 18 in 1975. So he probably starts doing matches in 77. So he's 20. 
And the whole idea of the territory was to have the young, handsome characters so that the fan base is young, so that the screaming female fans are young. And I don't want, I'm not, I'm not trying to be insensitive in any way, especially after all of this event stuff, but like, think of pop stars, right? Like, like think of Justin Timberlake and NSYNC. Like, if they did a movie about NSYNC and, uh, actually, not Justin, because Justin's tied to Britney, but, you know, the other dude, JC, who was the oh, second. I'm sure Justin was, <laughs> he was out there. No, 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 no. But, I mean, but he's just, he's with Britney. So, you know, they, they didn't portray him as, yeah. you can't really portray him. But, say, you know, JC, the second lead, who I still think is probably a better singer than Justin, but, Ooh. um, he just didn't get the marketing, man. Uh, but let, like, let's say you know he's this giant pop star, and, and they're doing a movie, and he goes out on a date with this girl, and they start hooking up, and he's like, "It's kind of my first time." Like that, just that's not yeah, right. Yeah. That's that was yeah. silly. Uh, so Kevin, uh, and so I mentioned the Kevin debuting for David, the ESPN thing, where in 1979 they get a deal on ESPN. And if they get the world title, they're really going to drive ratings and this yeah, and that. Like, right. you know, the, the the whole national wrestling thing, you know, you got to go back to maybe they're sort of pretending it's the TBS and Georgia Championship wrestling thing. Uh, ESPN doesn't happen until like the mid 80s, I think. And it's also tapes. It's like old tapes that they show. They're not showing like live shows or anything. So, mm-hmm. the, you know. If they had ESPN in 1979, I mean, you know, maybe they get to be the national company before Vince does, if that's how it really worked. <laughs> yeah, okay, here's a small one. This is what I call the shoeless Joe Jackson effect. In Field of Dreams, shoeless Joe comes back to life on this mythical baseball field built by Kevin Costner's character, and he goes up to the plate. And he swings right-handed. And I'm like, wait, Shoeless Joe Jackson is supposed to be left-handed hitter. And they're just like, well, we just couldn't figure that one out. Harley Race in this movie is right-handed. Oh, that's... I didn't notice that until I saw it the second time. I thought he was great, that guy. Yeah, yeah, he was really good. Um, And then, obviously, you know, the Ric Flair one. But, you know, Dollar Store Rick, that's what we should call this guy. Uh, okay, as far as the box office is concerned, $33 million domestic as of January the 28th, and that is off of a $15 million budget, $25 million at the box office, and they are home free. So this has been a much bigger success than I think anyone anticipated. And so going back to my question to you about if this Von Erich name hurts the movie... I, I'm kind of fifty-fifty on it. It could pass. It may be a better film if you don't, if you aren't strapped to that name. But commercially, it is one hundred percent good for this movie because they've already doubled their budget, and they still haven't even put the thing on HBO Max. You know, whatever the VOD is going to be. Uh, so you know, and then down the line, whomever else gets the right, like they're they're. They did a great job with this, so congrats! I'm I'm, I'm glad this is actually a uh, a commercial success. Even though it's a it's a small it's on it's an A twenty four movie. It's a small film, but you know to to continue to basically be consistent 
in your weekly box office for you know as many weeks as they did, it it just shows that people were interested in the film. So I thought that was really good. I'm glad it found like an audience beyond the wrestling fans. Like yeah. that's that like that that's. I think that's was the coolest part of it. Like, oh, you know, I'm I'm glad. Like, I'm glad my like my wife has interest to see. You know, she's like, oh, yeah, I kind of want to see that now. I'm like, all right, cool. I, I'm looking forward to watching with her when it. Come on, HBO or Max. I always <laughs> say HBO Max. I can't. Stop I that. mean, just keep saying it. It's yeah. that's because they. It's a better branding than you know stupid why? Max. You know why, Garrett? Because when I was a kid. Did I pump me? Oh up. yeah. And I was like, dude, I don't know what's gonna be. I don't know what's coming on next, but. I'm one. I'm I'm pumped. You know. So. Yeah, there might be some racy stuff happening. Yeah, that's not the, that's a late at night. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if 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 the racy stuff was happening at like 7 p.m. when you're watching, sleep. watching with your parents, you're like, oh man, summertime, summertime when they didn't care how late you stayed up till, and it was like watching all this crazy stuff on HBO. <laughs> yeah, you had to you had to put it in the memory bank, is what you had to yeah. do back then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I have a new. I have another section called "What They Said" because. In this podcast, wrestling movies are often looked down upon just for being wrestling movies. So I'm very interested in what like the the actual critics said at that time. Now this movie is, you know, it's very present, so these things aren't going to be funny. But I imagine, you know, when we do no holds barred, you know, whomever was doing movie reviews in 1989, oh, I want to see what Siskel and Ebert said, you know, that whole thing. So uh, I, I just have a few quotes here from uh, Christy Lemire, I believe, on RogerEbert.com. She wrote, the Iron Claw inadvertently shares a lot in common with professional, with the professional wrestling world that depicts a lot of energy and passion clearly went into it. And there's a drive to entertain and thrill, but ultimately ends up feeling empty and superficial. Oh, man, Christy. Mm. Christy uh, put a sweet chin music at the end to this movie. Yeah, what the hell? All right, Kyle Smith from the Wall Street Journal. The film doesn't have a conventional plot, and it's somewhat naive about pro wrestling, but it is an affecting look at a family for whom things never seem to work out. It's one of the few movies released this season that frankly deals in emotions. When someone says, tonight I walk with my brothers... The moment is heartbreaking. As bizarre as Yvonne Eric's profession is, what they endure is universal. By the end, the Iron Claw seems merely like the dread certainty of suffering, sorrow, and loss, the basic stuff of being human. And uh, last one from Man- Manola Dargis of the New York Times. The Iron Claw is corrosive patriarchy, as it were, and of emotional repression and misplaced ambition proves more than he wants to grapple with. Instead, as the story grows more and more despairing and painful, he attenuates its traumas partly by focusing too narrowly on one man's transformation from true believer to heroic skeptic. The Iron Claw yearns for a happy ending even after its monster devours its world. So this, right. this writer, right. Marty Pants this, this writer decided that uh, they were shooting for the stars when it came to the 30-letter uh, 30 30 Scrabble words. All I know is that probably wouldn't be able to hang out with this writer. Just, like, <laughs> the shit out of me. They, the, this writer would be speaking over my head, absolutely. I'd be like, all right. He'd be like one of those guys that keeps talking, but you just walk away. You know, like just. <laughs> uh, by the way, eighty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. 
All right. Good score there. All right, let's get to the MVP of the movie. I have MVPs from Paul, Brady, Daza, and Jeremy. I have one for myself. Uh, So do you have your MVP of this film? Um, Yeah, my MVP is going to be – it has to be Zach. I'm sorry. He was the you know the main focus, the core, and and in my second place is the the actor portrayal of Mike Von Eric. I think he oh, really wow. captured Mike's essence and you know pain. I thought that guy was brilliant actually. But. Stanley Simon's ears just perked up right now. He's not exactly sure why. He's yeah, like, he me. knows. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, I agree with your with Zach, by the way, because I I, th- I was thinking about this, and if you were to, you know, if you were to sort of like look at it in a, you know, per minute value per minute, you know, Holt is amazing in this movie as Fritz. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Lily, Lily James is charming as all hell as as Pam, and you know, Paul Fontaine's MVP is actually the woman who plays. Do- uh, Dottie, uh, Maura Tierney. And, you know, the interesting thing, I think Paul compared her portrayal. Like, it reminded him of, I want to say he said it reminded him of of his mother. Mm. But, like, there was something in that character that resonated with him personally, which is kind of of cool. Uh, But for Brady and Daza, they both had Holt as Fritz. Jeremy had Lily James as Pam. (laughs) I knew it. Yeah, Jeremy was in love with him. He was him. in love. He's like, I was like, I looked over and there's hearts in his eyes. I was like, yeah, this guy. <laughs> hey, look, she was charming as all hell. She was. I, I get she it. I, I absolutely get it. Uh, but I'm with you because Zach is the star of the film. The movie doesn't work if Zach's emotions are not on point, if his moments of silence feel like actual uncomfortable silence. Yeah. If him just sort of knowing that, you know, his whole his, his his him being the one who can sort of handle all of this stuff is just something he wishes he could pass down on his brothers, but he can't. And so he, you know, he whispers, you know, some advice or just some kind words like, hey, man, you know, just make sure you're OK and just stuff like that. But at the same time, he's also thinking, you know, if I would have done this, maybe this wouldn't have happened. And you can see that on his face. So I, I'm going with Zach, too, because I don't think this movie works unless Zach is as good as he is. Yeah, no, I agree. 100%. OK, so let's end the actual podcast. And we're going Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel style. Not going star ratings. Though, because we're a wrestling podcast network, it'd been very easy to go star ratings. Uh, And look, stars can go as high as we want them to go. There's no end. There's no top to the star rating system. So we could have said a million stars for this movie if we wanted. We're going thumbs up, thumbs down, Siskel and Ebert style. All I need from you is a thumbs up or a thumbs down. A thumbs up. I agree with you. Yeah. I think it is... uh, it is a movie worth seeing. We mentioned the pet peeves and some of the facts of things that we know about that I think the general audience would not care about. What they would care about, though, is kind of what we talked about with the, the way the movie ends, where, you know, the second half is just 
it's kind of like a fast forward button. Yeah. It's it's a it's in, in some instances it kind of reminds me of like um Rocky 4 where half of the movie is like a a video montage. It's like it's like it's like an MTV video for like half of it. Like this yeah. thing just goes and goes and goes. So there's really no subtlety or no reason or no explanation why these kids are committing suicide. Uh so that would be the main flaw, I think. But still Worth watching. Thumbs up. You're going to be sad if you watch it. Uh, and it's just an incredible success. So all parties involved, from Sean Durkin to the, the actors, you know, Efron, I think they get Jeremy Allen White like at the perfect timing right after season two of The Bear is done. Like He's kind of at his peak as, a, mm-hmm. as an actor. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, just really, really good stuff. And, and look, I think... Also, the wrestling community, you know, the wrestling community today, I would say, because we are part of a hardcore wrestling fan base community, they just want to like stuff, I think, you know, more so than even me when I was younger, (laughs) you know, it's like, we just want to be entertained, and if something sucks... I, we're just going to forget about it and move on. And I think that's what I get more so with the current wrestling community than before. Like there's going to be folks who just are going to hate on everything as well. I'm not, I'm not saying that's everybody, but if I look at our discord, if you watch an AW show, there may be three or four things that you don't like, and there's going to be three or four things that you like. They're going to just go. Yeah. I like those things. And yeah, these things could be a little bit better. I'm not going to, you know, really get mad because, you know, Thunder Rose is moving in slow motion or whatever. Like, it's just like they just want to be entertained and they don't want to feel like their two hours are wasted. And so for that type of fan, I think they're really going to like this movie. Like, there's a lot to like and you can kind of push away the things that you don't really like because there is there is a lot to like. And I think ultimately that's why the movie works. Yeah, I 100% agree. 100%. You said it perfectly. Okay. Next time. I think we got to do Ready to Rumble. Oh, thank God. I was hoping. It's I was the, hoping that was part two. That was number two. It's the one that, you know, gave us the idea to do the podcast. So yeah. I think we're going to do it. David Arquette, a lot of DDP. I'm I've ready. I've never seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. And like, literally, I remember, like, it came, I remember it was coming out, and I said, you know what? I'm not gonna see it because I will just be so bad at this film. You know? <laughs> yes. So I stayed. I stayed away. I stayed away. Never watched it. I came close, not in the theater, but kind of rent it when it was you know back in the day. But never actually watched it. So now I'm ready. I'm ready now. Yeah. So we will do that next, and uh, I will list out some things for people who want to watch with us, and if you want to give us your takes, if you want to give us your review, your favorite scenes, all the stuff that we talked about in this movie, we will. We are doing that in the Popcorn and Pile Drivers uh, section in, in the Discord. It's got its own channel. Um, and if you are not in the Discord and you want to be in the Discord and you want to kind of come hang out with us as we do these shows, uh, gg at fightgamemedia.com. Send me an email and we will get you in. Uh, we'll get you in the Discord so you can come hang out. All right, you know what I you know what I was thinking before we get out of here. Hmm. Um, the pile driver song, Coco Beware. 
I I re- like for now the theme song, the intro song to to this is is made by the great Justin Nipper. But I really wish what we could have done is do something with the Coco Beware theme song. Because <laughs> call Coco up and have them do the cover for us. Just yeah. like just sing the just sing the pile driver part of the song. There you go. Then I you know I just that that would have been great, but. You know, that that's it's it was just a thought that I had as far as like if we could like build a theme like ChatGPT give a create a theme song for popcorn and pile drivers. It would have Coco in the background probably. So, but anyway, uh appreciate everyone listening. Appreciate Justin Nipper for doing the intro music. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you enjoyed the Iron Claw and let's have some fun with Ready to Rumble. We're you know, we're not going to take ready to rumble seriously by the way i I think people are i don't think you're thinking that you know we're going to give it the old uh roger ebert and gene siskel review uh, as a film like we'll we'll have fun with it we'll break it down we'll mention some of the stupid things too but we're gonna have fun with that movie so yeah yeah if i don't just take a fork to my eyes when i watch it (laughs) this might be you might have to get a special well our pet pet peeves are probably going to be all about the wrestling scenes that might be the whole review (laughs) yes all right so for john i'm double g thank you for listening to the very first episode of popcorn and pile drivers we will see you when we see you peace out Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.